If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. My temptation this morning was to to go back into my library of sermons, which are about, I got a file cabinet, and they're about this high of sermon after sermon after sermon that I preach somewhere in the world. But God would not have that for some whatever reason. I think, you know, I said, Lord, it's difficult enough, Lord. I don't need to have any more frustration. Just let me preach something I know. And I, I went to sleep praying that prayer, and I woke up in the middle of the night with a, with a title, which I do not really fully understand even to this day. But it's called A Blinding Flash of the Obvious. That's the title of my sermon this morning, A Blinding Flash of the Obvious. And I, I don't discount significance of dreams by any means. However, it's not been my practice or experience to have God talk to me through that means or communicate to me in that manner. However, that evening when I went to bed and uh, I was praying, God's bleeding, what I should, should share, what you're going to find this morning is what I came up with. I was reminded of a quote out of the great Christmas classic authored by Charles Dickinson when Scrooge said this, you may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an undue potato, there's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. And basically what, what Scrooge was talking about and responding to was this manifest, supernatural manifestations of one of the ghosts that were coming to him. And he was seeing this thing and saying, Maybe it was something that I ate last night that caused me to, to come to get all this together. Well, I'm not sure sometimes whether it's not that that brought this together, but I know that God spoke to my heart and continued to burn in my heart, so I'm going to share it with you this morning. And quite frankly, I do believe this is the message that God has given to me to give to you this morning. I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, I'm going to be... I'm going to be uh, quoting from new, the New King James Version. Uh, it's interesting that I, I remember hearing Billy Graham one day say, you know, there's so many translations out there, you can get it wrong and people still won't know. But we are going to be out of, I'm going to be out of the New King James Version. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the signs of the times, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the church's, the church's responsibility, the, the, the uh, Christian's responsibility, our responsibility to respond in the world in which we live. And I want you now again to turn with me to chapter 3, starting at verse 1 of Second Timothy. But know this, but know this, that in the last days, but to know this, that in the last days. I want to pause for just a moment. I want you to notice the expression, the last days. You'll find it many times throughout the Bible. The Bible says that there's going to be an X point in history that will be known as the latter days or the last days. 
Many people think that we're in those days today, that this is the last days in which we are living in. Nobody knows for sure. The Bible warns us against speculating on times and seasons and dates. But there is indeed a period of time that is taught in the Bible that is called the last days. And there's many scriptures that talk and refer to the last days throughout the Bible. I chose Timothy chapter 3. Timothy chapter 3. But if you go to Matthew, you go to the Revelations, you go into the Gospels, over and over again we will hear about the last days. And then it goes on to say, in the last days, the next few words will be perilous times. Friends, I want you to look or listen to the perilous times or listen to the words that I'm about to say. Usually in a sermon, for me, uh, after four years of undergraduate school, four years of graduate school, you, you learn to preach a certain style. Most of the time it's expository, and most of the time you, you do a historical grammatical study of the text and you, and you read through. The historical and gra grammatical portion of this text, I want you to consider here and now. I want you to hear what, what these times are going to be like, and I want you to place those times within the context of your mind to what is going on in your world today. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. And listen to this, this is very important. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray with me. Gracious, most heavenly Father, in the few moments that we have left together, I pray, God, that you will make my words articulate, that you will make my message clear, that the power of the Spirit of God will anoint, Lord, the words that are spoken, that there might be one here whose lives need to be changed, someone here, Lord, who's caught up in what's going on in this world, or someone who is sitting by as a spectator in this world. Lord God, you did not call us to be spectators. We have to be involved. We have to come, Lord, to you, Father, and we need to forgive our, have you forgive us of our sins. We need, God, that for sin of apathy, the sin of silence, the sin of not being involved in your word and in your, in your life. God, help us that we may make a difference in this world, but Lord, no difference will come and we remain silent. Our light needs to be shining and must shine in a world that is dying. There is a corrupt world, Lord, that we live in. Keep us from the evil one, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We may ask this morning, why should all of this concern us? This morning I turned on the news before I left the house for a few moments. I heard about a serial killer who killed 10 people, I think, I think he's from Illinois. 
that they, that they finally got, who for over a decade and a half have been murdering, mur murdering women. I heard about the, pre uh, the son of a president, our president, who has engaged in all kinds of lascivious activities. I heard about cocaine found in one of the highest buildings in, that's kept in esteem in our country, our national White House. I heard about so many people who were getting killed in Chicago. I don't know how many there were. All within about five or 10 minutes time, I kept hearing over and over and over and over. And I was thinking and as I was reading The historical context of this particular passage of scripture is today. I believe with all my heart that we are in the last days. I believe that Jesus Christ's imminent return is upon us. And I believe that there is a response that is required on the part of the church. When Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and privately, each one of them privately saying, Lord, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And the Lord went on to talk to his disciples individually. And he talked about wars and rumors of wars. He talked about pestilence that would come upon the face of the earth and Lord, how it would change things. He talked about how governments would change. You know, the, the COVID virus did something I never thought would ever happen in my life. It closed the doors of the church across this world. You have to make the decision. You have to look at the Bible. You need to read God's word. It's not what the preacher talks to you about or what the chaplain talks to you about or what the Sunday school teacher talks to you about. It's what God's Holy Spirit talks to you about. I always thought it strange. I would often visit people in their houses and, and almost uh, half the people that I would visit would have these big Bibles, I mean, big old Bibles. I can't say, I, I can't complain too much. I have one of these big old Bibles too. The scary part of it is some people, that's the only Bible they have in the house. Now I have, I can't count how many Bibles I have. I have, a, I have every version of the Bible that I know that there is in my house. I mean, I've got two, two cases, uh, bookcases that are basically, two shelves of bookcases that are full of nothing but Bibles. Probably four or five, because you, you count the commentaries. But when I asked the question, when did they read the Bible last? There's a sudden silence. And then I think about Steven Spielberg. I don't know if you know who Steven Spielberg, but he's written a lot of, you know, these, these way out things or thrillers. Who, who done it? What's, what's going to happen? Some way out crazy stuff that you, you find it hard to believe. No, no one would believe. But I've asked this question to the people that have those big Bibles sitting in their, on, their, on their cocktail tables or the chairs or somewhere off to the side. I said, when's the last time you Well, you know, I haven't read it for a while. I asked him, do you believe the Bible? Oh, sure, I believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible contains the, 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 the 
your eternal destiny. And they'll say, yeah, you know, I, I believe that the Bible contains the direction that my eternal destiny will take. And the Bible talks about a heaven and it talks about a hell. And I believe what it says, chaplain, but I don't read it. Now that is a thriller. That is a mystery. It's not a mystery to me because the Bible says we fight a battle, not of flesh and blood, but a spirit, saith the Lord. And there is a spirit that comes upon us that causes us to be apathetic to the things of God and apathetic to reading of God's word. And then we wonder why we don't understand. We wonder why we don't know what's going on. We're wondering, and you're saying, chaplain, you're getting into meddling. You're trying to make me guilty. I'm not trying to make you guilty. I'm trying to make you go into heaven. See, when I was a little boy, in my lifetime, they taught me about sin. They talked to me about a heaven that was to gain, but a hell to shun. They got me frightened, quite frankly. I was scared to death of going to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. We have taken the fear of God. We, we understand his righteousness. We understand his justice. We understand his mercy. We understand his grace. But we forget he's a God of wrath. We forget he's a God of judgment. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That there is a point in the man wants to die and then the what? The judgment. There is a hell, to a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. But it's not popular. It's not a popular message anymore. It's an awkward message. It comes across awkwardly because the world has changed. Not, God has not changed. The world has changed. In the Army, there's a concept that they teach as military leadership, and it's called be no do. Be no do. I believe that there's a threefold response that the church has, that we have, to what's going on in the world today. It, what, the first one is very simply love the truth with all your being. Love the truth with all your being. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. That's what the, Jesus told the Pharisees when they came to him and asked him, you know, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what he says. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? We, we've heard that passage. If you've been in the church for very long, you've heard that the passage over and over and over in the greatest commandment. If you go back to the Greek, you'll find in the, in the Greek there's basically four words for the word love. Agape is considered the premier word. That is the, 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 the self, unselfish word. There's one eros for erotica, which means sensual. There's Sergat, Sergei, which means more like a, a family, like a, a father to a son. But the word that was purposely chosen in this particular passage of scripture is agape. It's a chosen and dedicated love. It is a dedicated and committed love. It's an everything love. Not a fractional love, like I'm going to give God all of this 
it's a love where you give God everything. It's an insatiable thirst. It's a thing that you cannot get enough of. It's a heart captured by the love of Christ. Do you have that kind of love? Do you wake up in the morning and think about Christ and what he's done for you in your life? Do you think about him through the day? Do you think about him at nighttime when you go to bed? When you, someone comes into your house, what do they see that would let them know that you love God? Is there anything out there displayed that people would know? I'll tell you something. When I was a police officer in another life, one of the things that we were taught in, in investigations is you go into the house and you look around the house and you read what they have on the bookcases. You see the pictures they have on the wall and it will tell you all you need to know about those people. Can people walk into your house and see God in your house without even seeing your presence in that house? They should be able to. I mean, if God is everything, if you love God, if you care about God, if you accept the fact that Christ died on you, died for you, there's pictures usually of your family too. The Bible says that we're to love our wives as Christ of the church and gave his life for it, using the agape love. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it because Christ loved you. Agape love. The psalmist David in verse 42 of Psalm 1 spoke, spoke of the thirst of God when he said, as the deer longs for the streamers, my deer panteth for the water books, so does my heart pant for you, O God. You get the picture of this deer who's been running endlessly through the forest. He comes upon a a water brook. He's dying. He's wanting thirst. And he's thirsting himself on the water. So it should be when we come into the presence of God. We should be thirsting for the things of God. And if we're not, if that's not what we're doing, we need to ask the question, why are we not? The second of the threefold Response or second response would be in second, found in Second Timothy chapter two fifteen. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The first was B, for those that have a military background. B. Love God with all your being. Second thing is. No. Know the truth. The military has always been in the forefront of instituting policy. Some good and some bad. Radical integration, the, ra the radical or the racial integration of the forces was a good thing. The wearing of seatbelts was first initiated through the military. They wore them first in the military before they became a requirement across the country. The implementation of the sexual preference relationships not so good. In Romans chapter 1, verse 6, 26 through 27, it describes men and women exchanging the natural relations for those that are unnatural. We need to talk about this in the church. We need to know what, this, what, what does that mean in the church. 
How do we, how do we, how do we respond to the, the homosexuality, the lesbian, the gender? We need to talk about it in the church because this is where it needs to be talked about because our children die for a lack of knowledge. That's what the scriptures tell us. Hosea said, my people die from a lack of knowledge. When I was uh, serving in, I'm trying to remember the place, I think it was, I was in Maryland. I remember getting up and preaching from Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Quite frankly, you don't have to go, go and say a whole lot about that. All you have to do is read the text, because the text tells us that in the last days these things will take place. The text tells us that this is sin, that it's unnatural. It's, it's not what God wants. It's not what God desires. It's an abomination to God. It, it, it says those words in, in the scriptures. So we don't need to add anything to it. Sometimes we feel like we need to add to God's word. We don't need to add to it. We just need to preach it. I preached from that particular text one, one morning. 48 hours later, I was sitting in the commanding general's office. He says, chaplain, we're trying to institute a policy where this is accepted. We're trying to institute a policy where everyone gets along together. I understand that, sir. I believe that we all should get along together. I have a problem with acceptance. I can't go there. But chaplain, you got to go there because that's the way the army's going. That's the way the world's going. And you got to get on board, chaplain. Or you're not going to make it in the army. You're never going to be able to get promoted. You'll never get further than where you are. And I said, sir, I may not ever get further than where I am. But I'm not the one who said those words. I'm not the one who created those or authored those words. He said, what are you talking about? I said, sir, I want to ask you a question. Am I able to preach everything in the Bible? He says, well, you can preach it, but you can't add all that other stuff. I said, I, I said, sir, all I want to know is can I quote the word of God? He says, chaplain, I can't stop you from doing that. I said, sir, let me read for you from Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And I read those words, and he looked at me. He stared at me, and I didn't know where, what was going to happen next. I wasn't sure that I was going to be army anymore. I wasn't sure if I was going to be sent somewhere else. He said, chaplain, I can't stop you from quoting the Bible, number one. Number two, I didn't know that was even in the Bible. Hear me now. I didn't even know that this was in the Bible. I'm telling you, friends, since that time, I have preached that same text over and over again. I've talked to people in and out of the church, and the word I get often is, I did not know it said that in the Bible. It says it, friends. We need to read it. Know the truth. We need to be diligent in our studies of God's word. Then we must, then we must present ourselves for approval. Not unto this world, but unto God. Some of the messages that we have to preach are not always comfortable. Some of the messages that need to be preached are not always comfortable, but they need to be preached. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. So we, we, we be, we give our very being unto the Lord. We know, we know the truth. The third thing we need to do is share the truth. In Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20, Go therefore, and, what we, and we all know this is the Great Commission, 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, I, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, we're not just supposed to, to call people and share with them the message of Jesus Christ. We are to make disciples. And, and I really think that somehow we have got out of balance with this fear thing about God. And I said it earlier and I'll say it again. We know about God's grace. We know about God's, all these, his, his grace and his mercy and his righteousness. But we need to understand that God is a God of wrath. We do need to understand that God is a God of judgment. You know, when I was a little boy, again, sharing from my own background, I remember hearing about the rapture and one day going home and not finding my mom and dad where I thought they should be and looking around the neighborhood and it was quiet and there wasn't any cars moving. And I remember thinking for just a few moments, just a few moments, God, did I miss the rapture? Lord, did, did, am, I, am I the only one left? And I was into mischievous stuff at the time. I wasn't really where I probably should be with the Lord. And it bothered me. There's an old song that says, it's called, Where Would I Be If It Weren't For The Lighthouse? Where would this light, where would this light be, life be? Where would this ship be if it weren't for the lighthouse? You know it, Nick. God has given us a light, and it's the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit shines that light in this world. But you know, sometimes it's fear that brings us back to the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 9, 10, the beginning of wisdom is fear. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. When Paul was on that road to Damascus, and he heard that voice from heaven and said, Paul, Paul, why thou persecutest me? And he was struck blind. It was fear that got his attention. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, he said, whoa, I'm a man with unclean lips. It was fear that guided and directed Isaiah. When Noah was putting together the ark, the scoffers came, but it was, the Bible says it was fear that caused Noah to build the ark. It wasn't because he wanted to build the ark. He was being laughed at. He was being scorned at. It was the fear of God and the fear of death that caused him to turn to God and say, God, save me. And he saves his family by putting them in the ark. Friends, if you don't fear the Lord and fear God, then I fear for you. Because the beginning of wisdom is fear. The three, our threefold response was to love the truth, to, be the, be, to love the truth with all of our being, to know the truth, to share the truth. And the title of, this, of our sermon that I started with that, you know, that may make more sense as I go along, A Blinding Flash of the Obvious. The biblical response to what is going on in our world has not changed. That's the, that's the, the blinding flash of the obvious. It doesn't make a difference whether we lived 2,000 years ago or today. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we need to come to God just as we would have 2,000 years ago with humility and asking God to forgive us of our sins. If a church changes their values to match the current culture, 
They no longer following the Bible. They are following the lost. God will not and is not going to rewrite the Bible just for the current generation. His word remains the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When I speak of the end times, I speak of worldwide events that will progressively escalate as time marches on. This should concern us. It concerned Jesus, it concerned his disciples. In Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to close with this. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, and this is Jesus, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us what will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and I will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be families, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in the various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Friends, I don't want to leave on a, on a, on a note where we, you know, we, we, we only fear God because God is so much greater than our fear. Fear is usually in often the initial stage that we go through because once we realize that God is, is alive, you can't help but fear him because he's, he's the all in all. But as you come into a relationship with him, you realize how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. In the Bible, there's 365 times where it says, fear not. The agent of God, God himself, Jesus Christ, someone representing the Lord says, fear not. Friends, fear not, but also fear him. Fear not for that God is here to judge you in the sense of condemnation. He's here to release condemnation from you.